I ask anybody's question but yours. You're an idiot. And really, a disloyal person. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Fans for Sports Network production. Uh, with me as always, Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman. I'm joining you as Steve Haller. What are we doing, guys? How are we doing? Steve, we found Andy. We did. He does exist. I do exist. Uh, to be honest, scheduling is not my forte. And uh, in very typical Andy fashion, I had two friends from Syracuse who I love dearly text me in February, say, hey, we are coming up in May. And that turns out is the exact amount of time when you tell me something ahead of time that I will forget about it when it actually rolls through. Mm. Can confirm, did the same thing back in March. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I'm coming Wait, to New York. I've, I've, I think I told you like December and then March rolls around. I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm coming. Oh, yeah. Shit. We forgot. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out that I that I am the person who needs to be in that sweet spot of you tell me not so far ahead that I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit, I already made other plans. But you do tell me in uh, you do tell me close enough that I don't put it in the memory hole that just immediately gets thrown out when there's a new sports stat that runs through you <laughs> know shiny. like hey yeah i just played trivia competitive trivia and in my head i knew the 20 i knew the the 2018 uh australian basketball team but i did not remember <laughs> that the podcast that my friends were coming up and visiting and that if i made plans on sunday i would miss the podcast this is this is my therapy session everybody uh don't this is this is adhd <laughs> No, I, I 100% feel that, and my wife yells at me all the time for almost exactly that. So, yeah, here we are. What's, what's the max number of things that you can be told in a sequence that you have to do um, that you actually remember? Because mine is if you give me three things to do, I will only ever do two of them. If you give me two things to do, I will do two of them. Once you hit three, I start dropping off. Right, and it doesn't matter whether it's one and three or one and two or two and three. Only two of those things are getting done. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So it feels like it feels like uh, building a Syracuse football team. Only only two out of the three units can be a good at a single point in time. There we go. We hit the segue. <laughs> I was like, who's bringing it around uh, first? Uh, Looks like it's Prankwood. <laughs> yep. We're going to talk some Syracuse football. Uh, we'll talk about the sad Syracuse football stuff after this, but wanted to start it off with the uh, season projections that are going to start rolling in, which is kind of weird to say. Uh, the big one is that the Vegas lines came out this week and Syracuse, much to my shock, uh, was put at six and a half wins as the over under for the season. So reminder, Vegas puts out the lines. It's part science based off of projection models. It's part uh, how can we make a number that keeps the money relatively uh, or keeps the money in position where we are not liable to lose if this month if this goes big. So Syracuse, a team with a reputation that it's not exactly the best, being put at six and a half wins feels a bit high for me because I think everybody's default reaction to that is hit smash the under. Just absolutely smash that under. Um, last year, it was four and a half and Syracuse hit that over. Uh, so it might just be a thing where Vegas is not very good at pricing Syracuse, which can happen with smaller teams. I think that's um, actually been I'm just kind confirmed of over the years, like. Vegas has some weird individual games. They're fine, but like overall, they've always been a little wonky on cues. Yeah. So Christian, I'm kind of, I'm interested to your take here. What, what do you think about 
not from like an aspirational perspective, because I think the aspirational perspective is that six and a half wins is the aspirational number. But from a reality number, like where where do we sit here? I don't know when I settled into the always pessimistic rule here at the site. Uh, but here we are. We landed on it, and I continue that trend uh, always. Because four or five just sounds right. Just mainly because of uh, Steve's favorite group, the offensive line. Um, and the um, in the brutal world, the brutal road schedule they have and the brutal November that they have. Uh, that... All those three things together create a perfect storm that doesn't seem feasible for a season that holds more than six wins. Um, and when you give the trend of how Syracuse usually goes is with having a massive drop off towards the end of the season, whether due to injuries, mainly due to injuries, it's hard to see how where there may be winnable games towards the back half of the year. How Syracuse can keep up with that just based on how the schedule is put, what's available on the team right now, um, and what we know from Syracuse just generally happens, especially in the past five years. Yeah, the only the only saving grace this year is we do get BC and Georgia Tech in the back half of the season. So even if we're hitting our slide, at least we've got some personnel that we're going to be up against that uh, isn't going to just, you know, uh, stomp us uh, directly into the ground. There's at least a chance we can go toe-to-toe to them, even if we're kind of backsliding. Um, th- this is actually, I mean, if you look at the schedule, it's one of the better back halves we've seen in a while. It's not that great, is, but it's, true. it's a better finish than we've had. Like, the middle of the season can just go die on a hill somewhere but the beginning and the end is it's it's solid like you know you've got what yeah after the the stupid stretch you've got uh at virginia tech which is i guess part of the stupid stretch uh bc pit at home at georgia tech it's not pit at home oh they didn't have a little at on the schedule thing <laughs> it's the uh yeah it's yeah. the yankee stadium game. yankee stadium game um so we're technically the home team but yeah, uh, neutral site game against Pitt and then home against Wake. So that four to end is probably as light as we've had it in a long time. Probably since 2018 when we finished yeah. with Wake. Yeah, I think that if you look at it by like a game by game basis and take each game in a vacuum, um, I know that uh, Mike and I went back and forth on this in the in the football channel of the of the News Magician Slack. But if you go get- by game there is definitely a path where six and a half is attainable where you look at games like colgate western michigan and army as you know the three baked in w's and then you look at purdue is probably a likely win bc georgia tech and wake are all probably likely wins and then you have a bunch of coin flip game or then you have a couple of coin flip games in purdue and Pitt, and i do think that all those things are like like that is all true but i think christian and steve you're kind of hitting on the most important part here is it's really about the schedule composition like that middle section existing the way it is like we have seen syracuse go through stretches uh where they play the the biggest teams in the acc and it's not necessarily about coming out of it 
and not losing every game 70 to nothing. It's about coming out of those games healthy because those are the games when they're going up against NFL quality players on both sides of the line in the trenches. And we've seen consistently year after year, the team just come out of those games with a plethora of injuries, many of them small, but a lot of them end up being ones that keep guys out for a handful of games and missing enough guys for a handful of games in that back half of the year is what's going to do Syracuse in because I think the biggest issue with this team is not necessarily the starting talent. It's the fact that this team is probably one of the lightest teams in terms of depth that I've seen in my time covering Syracuse. And again, I, I want to make it clear that the starting talent is looks pretty good on paper. Like at that, the starting talent looks like a six and a half win team. It's what happens if one or two of those pieces go down and what happens if one of those pieces is the quarterback, which has happened every season under Dino Babers and every season with Garrett Schrader. What happens if one of those pieces is along the offensive line, a unit that we still have a lot of questions on? What happens if one of those pieces is on the defensive line? Like there's and there's just and enough. If you, if you want answers to all of these questions. Please rewind your podcast feed to Wednesday when we talk to uh, the aforementioned Mike Ostrowski and hit all these minute by up. minute. Yeah. <laughs> so the last 30 yeah. minutes was basically what Andy just ranted on for the past minute. Yeah. And we came yeah. to about the same, the same conclusions that Andy seems to be going towards. So, yeah, we no, used we use the phrase. Yeah, we use the phrase, the phrase, the deceptive depth, because like Andy said, um, there is a lot of great starting talent, but when's the last time a Syracuse uh, Syracuse has seen? Let's be generous and say over half of a unit start all eleven games in a regular season. Um, and the fact that a, mean, an immediate answer hasn't come up is telling. Yeah, the last time it happened was the ten win season. Like if if you go back and look at that and look at that season. Um, I think Steve and Steve might have been the one to write the piece about it. I, I definitely mentioned it in a recap that I did, but I think that was one of the first seasons where the only major injury we had was to the starting quarterback <laughs> and uh, the and aforementioned Eric Dungy. And he didn't miss a game because of it, or did he miss the last game of the season? Uh, no, I believe was, Dungy missed. It was like a middle issue. Cumulative. Game. Yeah, he cumulatively missed two and a half games. Like yeah. he missed enough quarters that it was game time experience. Okay. Um, the, he missed most of the Notre Dame game because he, I think he oh, yeah. started. Yeah, he, he attempted got, to play that game. No, <laughs> he, he he got blown up in the first quarter of that game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, as that stupid idiot that keeps full charts on these sort of things, uh, the last time we had a fully healthy offensive line was the 2018 season. When was uh, the last time before that? Uh, 2017. Oh, well, congratulations to them. Yeah. the But prior, uh, in the interim, in 2021, so I, I know all of the additional um, offensive line combinations by letters. Uh, 2019, we had A through D. 2020, we had A through D. 2021, we had A through what letter? Oh, I want to say like H. Yes, H. Oh, yeah, there A we go. H. <laughs> we had that many different combinations. 
If you're not watching, hold on. If you're not watching this show, so that's eight. That is eight different starting offensive lines. If you're not watching the show, you should have seen Pregler's face when when I noted that because holy hell, yes, eight different iterations in twelve games. That's that's how that happens. Because stability, because a lack of stability is really what you want, and a lack of consistency with your personnel is really what you want against a core group of starting five members that are instructed to protect the most valuable asset on your football field. Yes, hundred uh, yeah, percent. I, I don't want to. I know that we always get flack for like not maybe not being the most positive of being upbeat like unit out there, but like I, I just want it to be known that that level. Of uh of inconsistency along the offensive line is legitimately unheard of, and is something. Oh no, it's heard of. I have a chart. Pretty- it says it. <laughs> <laughs> Can no, confirm like, exactly that, that what personnel it was. You are the facts. Let me bring them out to you now. <laughs> if you want to know why we hyper focus in on certain things, sometimes. Things. The reason that your team sucks is really straightforward. Sometimes it's really obvious, and it comes down to one thing. <laughs> and for Syracuse, it's we are not running this really intricate offense or defensive scheme that relies on a lot of different things going right. We're we, we're not we don't have Patrick Mahomes back there. No, this sometimes it's just really as simple as when you have A through H numbers of an offensive line running out there in a season, the team is not going to be good. There's just no way for that to happen. No. If Alabama went through that, they'd probably still win six games, but they'd probably win six games. Yeah. Yeah, it's and I, I mean, it, it's in oh. now that I'm looking at it, and I'm sorry we went down this rabbit hole. I'm, well, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so w- the the starting line that season actually it seemed solid. It was Service, Chris Bleich, Carlos Federello, Dakota Davis, Matthew Bergeron. That seems yeah, solid. seems like a rational. Uh, after- <laughs> and now we brace for what we ended with, right? Uh, there's an iter- the the second iteration was service Chris Elmore Veterello Tisdale Bergeron. No, God. so two switches in week two, uh, and then at various points uh, Bergeron and service switched, and then uh, Dakota Davis got healthy and then got unhealthy. Chris Blaish got healthy, then unhealthy, then healthy again, uh, and then unhealthy again, um, and then healthy again. And yes, that's I'm I'm looking at the chart. That's how many times that happened. Um, Bergeron decided he could play tackle instead or left tackle instead of right tackle, and that would suck less. So we did that. Um, there was a point where Kalen Ellis started three games, uh, then got hurt, and then started again. So yeah, you can see Josh Aloa was our starting left guard at one point. Not center. Uh, sounds like that sounds like guard. a lovely time. Uh, like there, yeah, there. The final. Uh, line that year was Bergeron, Chris Bleich, Aaron Davis, Dakota Davis, Darius Tisdale at right tackle somehow. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, so, a little PTSD. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we can see why there's a lack of consistency and lack of uh, cohesion along that unit, maybe. It's not, and it's not like, you know, offensive lines are really built on, you know, chemistry and communication no, and knowing that like you know the two guys next to you or anything yeah exactly yeah it's it's not like that like chemistry and knowing what those guys next to you are doing is really really important to a football team right no that's fine it's, it's totally fine 
So now that we've gone down that rabbit hole, uh, I guess, you know, there, there's still some other football news, but um, I think we would be remiss if we did not uh, at least touch on the fact that uh, one Jim Brown, arguably, no, not even arguably the greatest athlete to ever play at Syracuse, uh, possibly the greatest athlete to ever grace an athletic field, uh, passed away this week at age 87. Um, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of grasp or depth around Jim Brown's legacy outside of seeing his name on the dome and knowing what he meant to the university. I don't know if either of you guys have, uh, more than that, but. Not really, honestly. I think that there have been a lot of people that have taken the time to really carefully and thoughtfully write about the legacy that Jim Brown has on the field and off the field and the multitudes that the off the field legacy contains. And I would highly recommend reading those three uh, pieces that we have read here, which include one by our good friend, Chris Carlson, uh, one by our fearless leader, Kevin wall, and then one over on the athletic um, that was part of their coverage and I think that's probably the best to say it because if you're someone like me who knew Jim Brown, the athlete, knew Jim Brown, the activist, but didn't necessarily know about all of the other things Jim Brown did, that first recognition of it is a struggle that I had to work through and that a lot of Syracuse fans have had to work through. And I don't think it's our place to necessarily guide that conversation uh about somebody that to be quite frank the three of us have never gotten to meet or have any real interactions with um and so i think that the people who have had interactions with him and were around syracuse when he was there or when he was an impactful alumni figure are the ones to listen to uh, during this time so i think that's the best way to kind of handle that from our perspective and just know that there are probably a lot of people who are mourning his death right now and we send our thoughts and prayers out to them um and for those that might have more complicated feelings about his death know that you are not alone in that i think that is something that a lot of people are going through this time so that fun topic out the door uh on to a legitimately fun topic uh the women's lacrosse team is headed to the final four I uh, this is something that at the beginning of the season was the expectation. This was something that we have kind of said that the team was going to do do from the beginning. And so I think it made this accomplishment feel a little bit less of an accomplishment and more of a goal goal meeting, which is insane. Uh, however, all things considered, the women's lacrosse team about a month ago did not look like a team that could make the final four. Uh, their last two games of the season really looked like they had um, taken taken it to the chin from their loss against, what was it, Boston College. Um, and their two ACC tournament games did not look great. Um, but they came out and they have done well enough in the NCAA tournament to make their way to the Final Four, uh, where I should have looked at the bracket, and I didn't look at the bracket. So that's what I'm doing right and now. And guess what? You already mentioned who they were playing in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. 
Is it Boston College? It so, is indeed. So similar to last time, if you would like to uh, see our prior podcast, please see <laughs> last Sunday. This is this is footnote number two. Please see last Sunday's talk with John Arsenigo, uh, and you know uh, we we ended up going deep on both the men's and women's or, uh, lacrosse squads uh, for about an hour in Andy's absence because well that's what John does and he knows it and he knows it well. Um, but yeah, the uh, yeah the, this this squad seems to have found itself again. I don't know. Well, partially. Mm. Please because expound. because um because it was only I say only it was only a thirteen seven win, um, which to be fair is like a normal across score just in general. But for the the way that. This Syracuse women's lacrosse team played offensively just this entire season. 13 is a low, low goal amount. And it was a 3-3 game until about two or so minutes left in the, uh, or even less, I should say, less than a minute left in the uh, in the first half. It was a 3-3 game. And then Syracuse went on a four-goal run on either side of halftime. Um, to no, Mind you, this is number seven, James Madison. Mm-hmm. And to be and to be yeah. fair, um, as John pointed out in his recap article, you know the def- the defenses for both teams played really well. Um, but for a Syracuse team that was so dominant offensively, um, just to, throughout this season, thirteen is a little bit of a low number, and it's indicative of what we saw towards the end of the season, where the offense was slow at points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the second half, they picked it up, and I think that was. Um, it had to be good uh, good adjustments or something that train Caitlin Trainer said. Uh, especially with five goals in the fourth quarter. Uh maybe even better conditioning on their point as well. Um but that it you can't afford to do that against what you would assume to be Boston College and then Northwestern. Although Northwestern doesn't have an easy task in itself either. Um on the other side of the bracket. Um, since they have to play undefeated Denver, who had the upset over uh, UNC in a very low-scoring game. I was going to say, was that a lacrosse score or a soccer score? <laughs> Not even a soccer score, it's a baseball score. Five to four, they beat North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, now, look at Boston College, who won 20 to six. Yeah. And, and, that's the, and that's what we saw in the last time these two teams met, is that... They they have explosive offenses, explosive offenses. Both teams. That's what allowed Syracuse to get to such a big seven goal lead in the first half, and that's what allowed Boston College to whittle away at that lead and eventually take the win on the last game of the regular, on the last day of the regular season. So yeah. that's Syracuse's challenge: is that it seems like the defensive problems that kind of plagued the team as well towards the end of the season have kind of evened out. Only Schweitzer is playing at a good level again in goal, but uh, the o- offense has to find its groove and find it quickly, especially against a team that almost guarantees a shootout is going to be played. And I mentioned uh, soccer, college soccer. Uh, apparently the Final Four is in Cary, North Carolina for the women. Mm, sounds familiar. Yeah, I think the men won a title there. So mm, sounds familiar. I mean, mm. if 
if you win two national titles in Cary, North Carolina, then it is officially annexed. Like that now is just <laughs> going to become part of Syracuse, New York. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. them's the rules. It's now Syracuse. <laughs> I don't make the rules. I was about to say that. I don't make the rules. <laughs> oh god. So yeah, Northwestern against Denver, Cuse against BC. So we're we're we were almost chalk in the women's bracket outside of the the BC North Carolina upset. Ironically, the same thing in the men's bracket as well, mm-hmm. even though Syracuse is in the men's bracket. It's one, two, three, and five in both brackets that are in the final oh, four. That's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's kind of weird, but it's also lacrosse. Yeah, ignore the fact also that, you know, the one, two, and three in the men's bracket are, you know, Duke, UVA, and Notre Dame, but, you know. Right. Um. Yeah. Where is that? Is that Philly this year? Yep. Uh, it's not just in Philly. It's in Lincoln Financial in Ooh, Philly. Ooh, at the link. Yeah. There you go. Um, my, they're in my, the big boy stadium. My five-year-old literally started playing lacrosse today, so now I have to uh, pay attention to that <laughs> even more. Great. Yeah. I like it at the college level. Five-year-olds, it's also mildly hilarious. <laughs> Steve and I talked about this uh, I mean, pre-show, and it's... And just imagining the visual five-year-olds with regulation-sized sticks is just incredible. Yeah, the the youth lacrosse sticks now are not really any different than, like, regulation sticks. I don't know the difference. Maybe the head's a little smaller. Maybe the the shaft's a little smaller. But it looks exactly like mine. So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The, uh, listen... Kids, kids playing sports with something that they can just smack each other on the head for nothing. Absolutely nothing could go wrong. Oh, absolutely not. No, it's it's totally normal. Remember, you're talking to totally the kid normal. who's going to be an offensive lineman. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they had them going for ground balls today, like literally two of them running out for ground balls. And I'm like, hmm, this can't end bad, can it? So, Oklahoma. Yeah, pretty much. The, oh, the lacrosse version of Oklahoma. <laughs> Can you imagine a lacrosse version of an Oklahoma drill? Oh man, that'd be so... when you well, tell kind of, when you tell two five year olds to go for a ground ball. It's effectively it kind of, that <laughs> they kind of do that already in just in general in in the pros where um, they like line they they like line up every, all the guys in an alley, um, like they line up in an alley like all every every single player um, lines up in an alley like a and rugby they line out style uh yeah like an honor guard style but okay. obviously strict but obviously obviously tight and what they do is they literally have a guy with a with a ball in a stick and he has to survive getting stick checked by all these every guys every single person <laughs> every single guy oh while boy. running to, while running down the alley oh boy <laughs> yeah Glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> but you know what I am glad for? Pregler, what are we glad for? Home field apparel. <laughs> there we go. We got it back. That's, a, that's the first time that's taken a while for Pregler to get. <laughs> Listen, the uh, home field apparel is the maker of the finest vintage uh, collegiate gear that you could possibly find on this side of the interwebs. They have all of your favorite vintage mascots and school logos. They even have some uh, more modern ones if your team wins national championships because Connor and his crew, they just roll like that, and they're awesome. 
Apparently, they put them on t-shirts. They pe- <laughs> apparently, except for, you know, um, championships that are won well, against Indiana. I was going to say, yeah. there w- there is a national championship uh, soccer shirt that is m- was made at the home field campus. It just was not for the team that actually won the national championship <laughs> game. <laughs> so we might have we might have broke Connor's heart there, uh, which is good because Syracuse winning should always break Indiana's hearts. Them's the rules. Uh, if you also uh, would like to go karma. check them out on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, they have email subscriptions now. They now have like a blog where they tell stories about the the designs on the shirts. Uh, go check them out at Home Field Apparel. Uh, they are our friends. They are great. Uh, and you know what is also great? Uh, you know the thrill that you get from adding a new home field apparel t-shirt to your collection? That is the feeling that Adrian Autry must be having as he continues to add all of the transfers to this year's Syracuse basketball team. Is true. The men's basketball team has uh, done two things this week. The more boring option is adding a neutral site with Oregon. Um, The Oregon Ducks are going to meet in Sioux Falls in December. Um, It is uh, at the Stanford, sorry, the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls. Uh, (laughs) The double take that seemed dead on the name. (laughs) Yeah, the Sanford Pen. Technically, it's the Sanford Sports Complex, so it's the Pentagon at the Sanford Sports Complex. My brain was going in like twelve different directions when you said that the first time. Sorry, I really should just be I'm just confused. Really like should just Stanford, be Syracuse Pentagon, at the Pentagon. And what? <laughs> Ironically, Syracuse I, at the Pentagon is a code name for when uh, Biden goes for a defense meeting. <laughs> oh man oh yeah cool (laughs) Uh, so yeah sorry i'm just i i'm still broken by the fact that we're going to sioux falls for some reason but sure whatever uh sounds cool no i still remember when they got linked in the the slack and everybody was like okay great why (laughs) Like what? <laughs> like why? Why? I get. I get. Okay. I get an out out of conference against Oregon. That's fine. Why in Sioux Falls? No offense to the people in Sioux Falls, but oh, I'm sure it's a great place. However, there's no reason to play a Pac-12 school in the middle of a Dakota. Yeah, I mean, no, they're really no, there's just not there's no reason for it. Um, but Syracuse in the Dakota, I mean, can you imagine Jim Beheim agreeing to this game? That's my first <laughs> thought. Imagine Jim Beheim actively saying, sure, I'll go to Sioux Falls to play Oregon. Yeah, South Dakota is great. They have a Denny's. It's fine. I don't <laughs> total disclaimer. I do not know if they have a Denny's. Um, sorry, I'm literally just writing out the sentence for the recap. Syracuse <laughs> is playing Oregon in Sioux Falls. That's that's the that's the recap. That yeah. sorry, that's yep. just, that's that's it. That, that yeah, th- it. this is um, definitively sit- one of those times where if you're not watching the actual video, <laughs> you miss some yeah. context. Um, but yeah, I I guess that's fine. That seems fine. But okay. 
This is a thing that is going to happen now. Beyond that, the Syracuse Orange did have a different, uh, much more impactful, possibly, uh, bit of news in that they are, uh, no, not that they're going to open the series at Damon or home against Damon. Uh, That also happened. But uh, that uh, I can't remember his first name. This is great. Kyle. Is it? Is yes. It Kyle, 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 Kyle Jr. Yep. Yeah, no. Naheem yes. we talked about prior uh, on a uh, podcast to be missed by Pregler. Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Cuff Jr. from tr- Kansas uh, has transferred officially to the Orange. He is the son, as you can imagine, of Kyle Cuff, who played for <laughs> St. John's back in the day uh, and made uh, a couple trips up to the Dome uh, in the, I believe, early aughts, right? Somewhere in there. This is the Steve is old yeah, section. That sounds right. Yeah. So well, it's also just the like that guy now has a child who is playing college basketball section that breaks my brain a little bit. <laughs> Try graduating mm-hmm. the same like in that same era that he did. Mm. Yeah. Breaks my brain a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> That's that is very fair. So yeah, we're now adding more guards, so I can't tell uh if that's a signal that Mince is gone or we just want all the guards because Adrian Autry was a guard and what not? I don't know. There was also a um there was also a chance that Cuff doesn't play too much until the later part of the season because he did uh, tear his MCL and PCL. Um it was towards the start of last season, so you know the hope is that you know he'd be recovered enough by the time season starts. But Especially with that kind of an injury, you don't want to rush it back. So it would be it would be very reasonable to either get another medical redshirt uh, somehow yeah. um, for him if he's going to miss some more time while you know continuing to rehab, or if he just doesn't play because he's injured. Yeah, and still, which no. is totally reasonable. That would be, you know, uh, right now, Mince is being what uh, touted as like a second round, mid-second round pick. Mid- yeah, that was late- actually going to be the last thing yeah. that I was going to cover. Oh, Late well. second round right now, yeah. Most are most, most of the picks, most of draft projections have him in the 50s uh, right now. Um, with one, I believe, in the 40s. Um, yeah, Mince is he's 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 coming out as a guy where there are very clearly teams that will look at him, and if one of those teams don't pick him, it's it's hard to kind of see him going anywhere. Um, but obviously, the what makes the NBA draft so difficult to to project in this way is that there is so much pick swapping that takes place both before the draft, during the draft, and after the draft that it it's kind of tough to tell if Mince is going to be someone that is guaranteed a spot on a team because a team wants him that badly. Because I think that's really what he has to weigh at this point. Has someone like San Antonio, who has now won the lottery and has fundamentally probably changed their draft strategy because of it, um, are they still interested in him? And the reason I bring it up is because I believe that there were multiple games this season where San Antonio scouts were were in attendance at the Dome. And so that leads you to believe that they're probably keying in on on a certain player. Yeah, but unless unless they have a late second-round pick, 
they're going to have to trade into that position. So I'm not sure it's going to happen, especially right. since, you know, they have gotten in David Robinson 3.0 now. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they already had the David Spurs. Robinson. They already had David Robertson 2.0. Uh, but no, they've, you know, refreshed the manual, got in the Windows upgrade, and now have a French version. The uh the Spurs when they win, the Spurs win big. And I'm I'm kind of happy for them. But yeah, but this is the kind of thing that if you're Judah Mintz, you're sitting back and you're like, okay, you kind of yeah. take this all into account, and we don't necessarily know which teams have been super in on him. Um, although I did see something, I think it was from the Sam, I think it was, uh, Benny, the, the athletic guy who was basically like, look, Junimitz basically showed off what he's good at. And by not taking a single three also showed off what he's not good at. Yeah. So, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot that has changed about Judimitz's um, evaluation during this process. Other than if you're drafting him for being a shifty, get to the rim point guard, he could definitively do that. <laughs> yeah, so just to go through the uh, the um, projections that Dom uh, compiled for the site, uh, the Athletic has him at the 53rd pick to Minnesota. Yahoo Sports and Jonathan Giovanni from ESPN have him at the 55th pick to Indiana, and Jonathan Wasserman has him at the 45th pick to Memphis. I mean... That's tough. That's a tough decision to make uh, if you're Judah. But I did see, I mean, I think that the consensus is that this year's draft class is stacked. Next year's draft class is a bit more normalized. Um, yeah. So there is a chance that he could play his way up next year if he if he has a great season. Yeah. The big thing is stacked with overseas talent as well. That's the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Game's changing. Game is changing. Well, you know, we already we had the the European infusion about 10, 15 years ago. It's like fashion; it just kind of goes in waves. You get like uh, the nineties yeah. coming back again with mullets. Yeah, we had, and a, we had a we had a European invasion two years ago. It was Slovakian. Mm. Bring and, back Marek. <laughs> I mean, and also last year, what are we talking about? It was a Dutch infusion. You know what else is European? The men's, soccer. the men's soccer team these last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Hey. Uh, so uh, for anyone who missed it on the prior pods, uh, Mac has taken the squad across the pond. They've been taking in games. They've been scrimmaging U21 squads. Uh, all in all, seems like a quite successful trip. I believe today they're either heading back or just got home. So it's uh it's been been quite the the wild and woolly world for the national champs. Um, Unfortunately, they couldn't provide any good juju to uh, Leicester City. Yeah, they, they yeah no no hope there. Uh, <laughs> and apparently now, uh, if if any of them were Madrid fans uh, in the game they took in there, because that was a one sided drubbing as well. Yeah. So. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's been been interesting uh, watching watching what they've. If you if, uh, following any of them, like any of the either the Q Soccer account or Mac on Twitter, uh, as always, you know he's uh, hitting up some some old haunts and some familiar faces and uh, taking in the 
taking in the English experience and sending the uh, the squad on a, a proper English tour. So they got a I got a pregame talk from Harry Kane. So this is true. As a Chelsea fan, that uh, I, I even have to respect that. It hurts. I, I, I thought you were saying as a Chelsea fan, someone who I hope might be our future number nine. No, no, <laughs> we've we've made enough dumb buys. Kane wouldn't necessarily be a dumb buy, but we've made enough dumb buys. Yeah, you need a number nine. We Just need, gonna we be sad here everything. in the corner. It's okay, Andy. Don't worry. I have to deal with the fact. I have to deal with the fact that somehow Newcastle is going to finish above United. <laughs> Chelsea's hearing the Champions 11th? League music next year will take the sting out of everything. But in the meantime, I'm just looking at the pictures of Holland with the trophy, being like, "God damn it!" You realize how why, much you just sounded like draw? an Arsenal fan, right? What was that? You realize how much you just sounded like an Arsenal fan, right? <laughs> well, when the hat fits, uh, you know, uh, it is it is one of those things where uh, as Mac and the team are abroad, I am kind of interested. I know that like we know some of these kids are just like they're not super into teams the way that we're super into our teams. But there is a part of me that's like, I, I want one of these kids to just be like a diehard Leeds fan. And I need the video of watching them. Uh, watching Saturday's match as Leeds fights for their <laughs> fights for their poor lives, like that's that's the kind of content that I want. I'm pretty sure. I'm also pretty sure Mac is a Liverpool supporter, if I'm not mistaken. So oh, really, so that I think so. Uh, so if if that is true, then he must have had some conflicting feelings when Liverpool played Leicester. Given the status of yeah. his former player, uh, being a member of the other club, <laughs> yeah, I mm-hmm. see. I keep forgetting since he immediately went on loan to Levyon, uh, I keep forgetting yes. that he's actually signed to Leicester. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well then, uh, yeah, a successful successful he, season for him as well. Uh, Apoku could Apoku has. Not necessarily the same size, but the body type to be a Daryl DK if Daryl DK didn't get injured a million times. Yeah, no. I can and, see that. And, and whenever DK stepped on the field in the championship, like, he did good things, so. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think he's got, I think he's got his, uh, his work cut out for him. Like, he, he showed he can do it in the net, or well, in Belgium. I keep forgetting they haven't combined those two leagues like they've talked about for a while yet. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. It'd be it'd be great to see him on a bigger stage. Championship, probably the sixth best league in Europe. If you think it's better than the Scottish league, then maybe yeah. Yeah, definitely then. Um, uh-huh. It's Scotland's always weird. It's it's very like. You have the top two or three, and then the rest. Yeah, you have Rangers, Celtic, and then everyone else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's either way. We'll see. We'll see what this does for the squad moving forward, and whether it's uh, yeah. a big, big, you know, boost for them to get a couple extra, couple extra kicks in over the. I guess this is summer here, maybe fall. I don't know. Well, um, I mean, graduation last was last weekend for Syracuse University, so. 
Mm. By their terms, yeah. it's officially summer. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that seems like enough vamping. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, stay for come for the Syracuse talk. Stay for the soccer talk. It will continue to happen all season long. Uh, with that, we are now going to say good night for the Disloyal Idiots podcast. We appreciate all the support. Make sure you're liking and subscribing wherever you listen to our podcasts. It's how we trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. Uh, make sure that you are also uh, checking out our partner's home field apparel, makers of the coziest and the best stuff out there. Uh, if you are watching us on Twitch, thank you so much for watching our ridiculous uh facial expressions and reactions to everything but also know that we're going to do this most nights on sundays around 8 p.m and we'll probably be doing several other smaller episodes as things different pop up we get different interviews always make sure to check out the twitch for the first look at this gentlemen uh we are almost into the off season the end of memorial day weekend is the official end of the college sports season for sports that syracuse participates in sorry college baseball We'll get you there eventually. Uh, so Please. we only have about we only have about one more week of doing this before we get into the official off season. Uh, so for us, for everybody else who's enjoying the last week of the college Syracuse season, go orange. Go orange. Go orange.